This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Today's guest asked me a question that I haven't been asked before. He says to me, why is being a CEO like a French fry? Before we get to the answer, which will come later, uh, if you're overwhelmed by the huge volume of stuff in your world, then this discussion about priorities, working less, and saying no will change how you see your job. To answer all these questions and more, Matt Blumberg. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Nice to talk to you. So uh, you're telling us that uh, we're going to be spending time at one of the fast food restaurants talking about French fries today. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So tell us, what uh, what is being a CEO or being a senior executive? Why is it like being a French fry? So I, a college friend of mine developed this theory a long time ago, which is that um, the thing with French fries is you can always eat one more of them, <clears throat> right? You're never too full to eat one more French fry. But there may be a time where you, you're, you finish a plate, you're not ready, you don't want to order another plate. But if one fry is left, you'll always eat that one fry. And I think this is just a, it's a great metaphor for, for being a CEO. It's a great metaphor for lots of things, which is there's just always one more thing you can do. There's always one more email you can send. There's always one more article you can read or blog post you can read. There's, a, there's another tweet you can send, another meeting you can have, another call you can do. There's always at least one more thing to do. And um, you can drown in doing that next thing and then the next thing and the next thing. Um, without actually getting the important things done. So how is it that some executives seem to have better control over their their day, their calendar, their their clock than other people? I mean, what what does one group of people do that the other group of people doesn't do? That's a good question. I don't know that there's one answer to that. Um, you know, certainly, um, you know, there's some amount of, of discipline that's involved. There's some amount of having like a, a framework to prioritize things. People can make really effective use of, of their calendar or executive assistance. Um, I, I don't know that it's it's one thing. I think for me, it starts with the the framework of, of prioritizing. And and in order to prioritize, you know, I mean, there's a million systems out there. I've got mine. You've got yours. What do you, what do you recommend to people for prioritizing their uh, their day? Um, so, you know, I think there are a couple of things. One is as a leader, it's, um, making sure that you're not a bottleneck, right? You, cause, cause you're the amount of work you get done is, is a drop in the bucket compared to what your organization gets done. And if you're standing in the way of other people getting things done, um, you know, you're, you're hurting the whole organization. So making sure that you are, um, you know, meeting the needs of others first is pretty important. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that uh, most people who are the bottleneck don't know they're the bottleneck? Uh, I'm not sure. I think some people relish being the bottleneck. I think they don't realize how destructive it is for an organization. And I think they it makes them feel wanted and needed and loved. Uh, and then some of the, yes, yeah, some, some of them do realize they're the bottleneck, but they think the thing that they're working on is more important than other people's work. And, you know, you just think about sort of the, the uh, you know, the amplifying throughout an organization is about, about letting other people get their work done first. Sounds to me like, uh, you know, you could have a, uh, a psychiatrist working on this problem too, I guess. I am you know, sure you could. I'm sure you a, could. It sounds like yeah. there's a lot of therapy here, but yeah. So, so what's, <laughs> so, what's the framework, what's the mechanism for uh, addressing this? I mean, if, uh, how does a leader 
learn how to balance, uh, you know, what's important versus not being the bottleneck versus getting in the way and uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. So here's how I think about the job of a CEO. I think about the things that you can do with your day in in three in three buckets, right? Category one is things that are in your job description. Uh, and so things that are in your job description as a CEO are things you have to do. You have to run a board meeting because no one else is going to run your board meeting for you, right? You have to get board materials out. You have to pitch investors. Um, you have to uh, approve things that the organization is waiting on from you. So you've got to get the category one things done first. I think of category two then um, as the things that only you can do. So they may not be things in your job description, but they're things that are really important for the CEO or for the founder to do. So as I always like to say, no one can put their arm around an employee who just lost a parent or God forbid, who lost a child and, and comfort that person the way a CEO can, the way a founder can, when you bring, you know, sort of the gravitas of your office or, or the, the weight of your organization behind you. So there, there are things that only you can do, which are kind of category two. And then I think of category three as the things that you're best in class at. So you may be the CEO, but maybe you came up through, maybe you're Bill Gates, right? You started by writing code. And even when Bill Gates was done being CEO and only chairman, he was still involved in like architecture review, right? Because there were things that, that he was best in class at. And the trick with category three, which is, you know, usually a lot of things. If you're a CEO, you're you know, reasonably talented and adept and experienced. The trick with category three is bring other people along for the ride, train other people as you do things. If you're the best person at writing press releases while you're the CEO, that's fantastic. Don't, don't go write a press release. Go work on a Google Doc with your marketing coordinator or your marketing leader to write a press release. So I, I don't know if, the, if this is the magic formula, but for me, it, that's it. It's, it's what's in your job description, uh, what can only you do, and then what are you best at and bring other people along for the ride. Yeah, you know, I've always, uh, always kind of had this uh, theory that um, if you charged a bucket of money for what you're great at and you gave everything else away for free, that would force you to only do the things that you were great at. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Hey Joel, would you help me fix my computer? Well, I'm really not that great at fixing computers, but if you want, <laughs> I'm not going to charge you for it, but if you want to take a chance, oh, okay. You know, we'll give it a try. Uh, and then they say, you know, it changed my mind. Uh, let's find somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I also think, um, you know, this sort of gets back to the, to the French fry theory. I think, <clears throat> I think time is um, and and the elasticity of time is not helpful either. And um, uh, you know, one of the exercises that um, that I encourage people to do periodically is, um, you know, you have whatever work you have to do, um, and uh, you know, let's say you have two hours left in your workday, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden tell yourself, "No, I only have one hour." Uh, right? Like the day ended at five instead of six, or six instead of seven. Uh, what is, what is it that you then have to say, oh, well, if I only have one hour instead of two, I better start with X. And there's something about that jolt around time is not infinite. It's not elastic. You know, the available time you have got cut in half. What do you do? You know, to me, like I know if I'm traveling tomorrow, I, I, I get 50 different things done today. And if I'm not traveling tomorrow, I get a 
some things done today. Right. Uh, you know, and I just, there's a certain, there's something real about what you're saying that when there is an urgency that you're not going to be at your desk for some days, I just, something kicks in and all this stuff happens. So how can you artificially create that so that that happens all the time? Um, I don't know that you can artificially create it. I think you have to, I think you have to just develop that muscle over time. Um, although quite frankly, I I've found as I've gone on in my career that, um, that working less is actually better for productivity. Um, you know, when I was a started my first company, I was in my twenties, um, and I was single and I, I could literally just work and work and work and work and work and work and work. Um, and now I don't, you know, now I, now I maybe, you know, finish at five or six every day. Um, I don't start at six in the morning. Most of the time I don't work on weekends. Most of the time I work less. And, and I find with that, that it just forces me into a constant stream of choices about what it is that I'm working on. So you, you and I have a similar kind of background. You, you're, you're from the tech side. I'm not from tech. I'm on really more the financial side, but uh, you spent a lot of years in venture. You've had a couple of exits. You've done a few things. So what are you working on? What are, what are your, uh, what are your projects now? I'm sorry, the new startup. Um, I'm a multi-time founder and, and the newest one is about two years old. Uh, it's a company called Bolster that, uh, that I started with a group of, um, of eight co-founders, uh, all of whom worked together at our previous company. And we started it in April of 2020. So just as, as COVID was kind of taking root. Was, was that on purpose or is that just like the worst timing ever? <laughs> it's the timing that was uh, that was available to us. It's when we were working on it. Although obviously we you know we started working on it, not realizing that that the world was about to change. You know, probably permanently. Um, and uh, you know, as I said to everyone on on day one, our first day operating was April one, twenty twenty. And you know, I said I think um, I think times like that, and that was you know not just uncertainty, but like everyone felt a you know, a massive recession coming out. It turned out it was quick, but, um, I, you know, I said times like these are actually really good times to start a business and they're good times to start a business because you can just put your head down and build for a while. You don't have to be in market selling at a time when no one is in market selling or in market buying. Um, and, uh, and that's what we did. So what does the company do? Like what, what's, uh, what's going on with it? Yeah. So bolster is a marketplace for executive talent. Uh, it's an online marketplace. So it's a platform that helps connect senior executives into uh, startups, scale-ups, venture-backed companies, growth stage companies. Um, so we are, um, you know, we're, we're a platform where you can hire people, um, hire senior executives in particular. And, um, you know, the traditional, the place most people go when I tell them what we do is they're like, oh, you know, you're like a headhunter. Um, and I guess to some extent we are, we are, we are a place where you can hire full-time senior executives, but we realize that particularly for startups and, um, and, and venture backed companies, that there are lots of ways for senior executives to add value and being a full-time employee is one of them, but it's not the only one. Um, so we help companies hire executives to be board members, to be mentors or advisors or coaches for full-time jobs, for part-time jobs, for projects, uh, for interim assignments. So kind of any, anything you can think of to make use of a, of a senior executive. Is this, is this all, does it kind of, does it kind of stop at the venture level or do you guys work with private no. equity too? 
No, private equity for sure. We've done some searches and work for public companies. Um, there's, no, there's nothing limiting about uh, what we do to a particular audience. I would say most of the talent that has signed up to be a, a Bolster member um, tend to be people that have experience in and around um, startups and scale-ups. But you know, scale-ups could be $200 million companies, $300 million companies. So there's, there's, no, there's no strict focus on venture companies. We, we've had nonprofits use our platform, um, public companies, private companies. So let's talk about what scale up, uh, you know, what kind of skills you're talking about, because now we're now we're in the meat and the potatoes here. I mean, because, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are uh, they're senior executive from middle sized companies that could be, uh, you know, in, in a service environment could be small, like 10 or 20 million in a manufacturing environment could be bigger, like a billion dollars. You know, and that's kind of the range of the middle market in the United States. But what is uh, what are some of the skills that you find that these uh uh, these scale-up executives have, and they're not only CEOs; they're they're executives across the the, the spectrum. Absolutely, we we have uh, executives who are members of Bolster from every single functional area, um, and we actually do a lot of work on the platform to help you when you come in and onboard yourself as a member, um, identify what your um, specific competencies are. We we call them your superpowers, right? So what are the what are the the three things that someone's going to hire you to do? The five things that someone's going to hire you to do. So there's not a quick answer. It varies by functional role quite a bit. Um, you know, if you if you think about uh, so here, here's an example: CFOs, right? We have I don't know a thousand CFOs on our platform, and people come to us all the time for fractional CFOs or interim CFOs or full time CFOs or even audit committee chairs uh, for their board who are former C- CFOs. Um, not all CFOs are the same. Uh, so we try to help distinguish between the, the person who came up through the controller rank or who came up as an auditor um, and who has really strong um, accounting, operational accounting skills, compliance, right. compliance et cetera, um, versus uh, the CFO who's a strategic uh, FP&A person versus the CFO who's transactional, maybe they were a banker early in life, and that's the person you want to hire if your company's doing a roll-up and doing a ton of M&A. So lots of different flavors of that. And you find that with every functional role. So what we try to do on our platform is make it easy for people to identify their particular skills and then make it easy for clients when they're searching to find people by the skills they need, not just by the role. That sounds sounds really interesting. So uh, if uh, if somebody uh, aspires, let's say, from a functional role, COO, let's say, to the CEO role, uh, what kinds of steps are you seeing people take to move to the next level in uh, in their career? Like what happens? Um, well, look, to move from senior executive to CEO, um, you really have to be a business athlete. Uh, so even if you've spent your whole life in sales and marketing and finance, um, you know, you you can make the move to CEO as long as you have enough of a sense of everything else that happens in the enterprise besides the thing that you're really good at. Um, so you know, no one no one should be a CEO without knowing how to how to interrogate a PNL. But that you know doesn't mean you have to have a finance background, um, right? No one should run a tech company without having a basic understanding of how uh, technical architecture work and systems works and. You know, uh, so the the people that that I see that make that transition from, you know, from a a functional head uh, into a business leader um, are ones that have a lot of intellectual curiosity. Um, You know, they're ones that have been on an executive team for a while and have a good sense of what all the people around them do. Uh, They're ones that work on cross-functional projects. Um, You know, and they're ones that are interested in, in developing themselves. 
Do you find that um, certain kinds of personalities are better suited for uh, uh, for CEO roles than others? For example, uh, you know, are sales oriented people more successful than engineering oriented people? Because, you know, I've seen CEOs that are either one. I mean, just you as sure. a recruiter, I mean, do you have a sense that one ends up more successful than another? So I'm not a, I'm not a recruiter. Um, Bolster's a recruiting platform that I run. That's a good thing for us to understand. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, you know, we do sort of play the role of recruiter a little bit on the edge, but, but I'm not, a, I'm not a career executive search person. Um, but I, but I, you know, I can, I can take a crack at that question. I think, um, uh, I, it, the answer is not that, hey, there's one type or another type. There are some cultural norms. So if you look at um, the Myers-Briggs indicator, which which is you know a, a flawed instrument, but a useful instrument in some ways, and you look at, I'm not going to get this quite right, but if you look at CEOs in the United States, there's like this dominant uh, you know, extrovert over introvert. Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a dominant type out of the 16 types or a few dominant types like ESTJ and ENTJ. And if you go to Japan, it's a totally different dominant type, right? And it starts with an I, not an E. Um, so, you know, I think different cultures and different business cultures, um, you know, reward different behaviors and different, um, uh, you know, different personality types. But, but to your question more about, you know, sort of functional leads, does, an, does a CTO make a better CEO than a head of sales? I don't think there's an answer to that. I think the, the people that make the best CEOs are the ones that practice the best leadership and the ones in particular that understand what they're good at and what they're not good at. And the things that they're not good at, they bring in great people for. So a, a CTO can be a phenomenal CEO, but not if he or she wants to pretend that they're good at marketing. Um, they right. They have to they have to put together the right team and then lead the team, and you can do that coming out of any function. Yeah, you know, listen, that uh, I, I love that cultural differentiation between uh, different countries, and and that you know is really an interesting thing that different countries value different things and different cultures value different things. So let's talk for a second about leadership because uh, everybody talks about leadership. You know, there are uh, there are a million people. It's much easier to talk about it than actually do it. I mean, there are people that uh, talk about leadership who couldn't lead a campfire girl to a campfire, you know, I mean, I mean, but, but, you know, they talk about it anyway. So from your perspective, what are you hearing, seeing, thinking that the great leaders are doing and, and what are some of the tricks of the trade that, uh, that these people are following? So look, I think great leaders have clarity of vision. <clears throat> I think great leaders have the ability to communicate that vision, um, to, you know, to articulate it in a way that inspires people and motivates people. Um, and I, you know, I think that, I think that those two things together, right. Having the vision and knowing how to, how to get it out there are, are kind of top of the list, but th that's not the only thing on the list. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, it is rare, rare, rare for anybody to say what you just said. I, ha I happen to agree a hundred percent the clarity, uh, and the ability to communicate that clear vision, uh, but almost nobody in leadership talks about those things. They talk about more things that are more technique driven, but if you can get everybody to understand, and by the way, having come from the business of raising money, if you can't be clear, you can't raise money. That's right. I mean, if you can't be clear, you can't sell almost anything. I mean, you have to be clear and For sure. simple. And For simple sure. doesn't mean talk to a five-year-old. No, you just mean, simple clear, just right? means you know that that people understand it, and no matter what level they're they're at in their life. Yeah, but look, by definition, you ask what a good leader is. A good leader has the ability to attract followers. 
Um, and you can't attract followers without having a clear vision and being able to explain it to them in a way that motivates them. And then good leaders are also good at organizing their followers, or at least making sure that their followers get organized. So not every good visionary CEO can also be the COO, right? Can also make the trains run on time and you know make sure that functional departments are organized correctly and compensation works. And so, but but they they know that those things are important and they make them priorities for their organization and for their leadership team. So I mean, that, that, I mean that's what leading is, right? It's getting people to follow you and making sure they're they're doing the right things. Listen, I I, I think you're 100 on the money. I I love I love what you're saying. Uh, it resonates, uh, you know, very well for me. Totally agree. So how's uh, how's the platform doing? Is it is it pretty active? I mean, do you have? I mean, you guys are obviously focused on the uh, on the client side, right? Getting the companies to do the hiring. That's that's really the well, and the, and on member recruitment. It's a it's a two sided marketplace. So we have to get executives in the platform, and then we have to get clients in the platform, and then we have to make the platform work. Um, so the business is we're still very early stage ourselves. We're about two years old. Um, but we've been very fortunate so far um, that there's been a lot of organic uh, sort of uptake in the business. And I, I can explain why I think that is. But we've had um, over 1,500 uh, CEOs and founders have set up client accounts on the platform. We have about 10,000 senior executives in the platform. Um, and we've seen probably over 1,000 searches at this point go through, through the platform. We don't actually... The, the platform doesn't necessarily close all of them. Sometimes you come in and you're poking around and it counts as a search, but you don't actually hire someone. We've probably placed, I don't know, two or 300 people at this point in jobs in, in two years. So there's a lot of um, tailwind and kind of organic traction behind us, which I think comes from... I think comes from a couple of things. I think one is sort of the there's some things in the macro environment that are working in our favor, um, but I think there's something else about what we're doing and the way we're doing it that are unique. Does does it um, does it use kind of a traditional headhunter model of uh, pay the fee for for success? I mean, how, how does it kind of work? Yeah, so it's it's free for clients to use the platform to do a search. Um, you only pay us if you hire someone. Uh, so in that respect, it's it's similar to a headhunter. There are a couple of different models. Um, if all if 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 you self serve on the platform and you hire someone, uh, then you're just paying us, um, you know, a small markup on, um, you know, on that person's um, comp. If you're uh, hiring them as a freelancer, ten ninety nine. There's a bill every month, and there's a you know ad on the bill for us. Uh, if you hire someone full time or for a board seat, it's just a one time fee. If you um, hire us for service on top of the platform to do dedicated sourcing, then it's also a, a different one-time fee for that. But all of our costs are, uh, obviously, some of them are free, which you can't get cheaper than that. Um, but many of them are, are just a fraction of, uh, of what a traditional headhunter would charge. When you, when you uh, conceptualize this, was this set up, uh, for example, uh, to... Uh to be a, a lower price? Was it set up to be a, a low a low amount of service? Do you have a full service option? I mean, are there any people that could intermediate if a company needs help screening? I mean, I mean, do you have different levels? Yeah, we do have a couple levels, but there isn't one of them that's full service right now. And and there may may or may not ever be. Um, you know, there's a reason that that uh, retained executive search firms charge $100,000 for a search or $150,000 for a search, which is they actually throw really senior people at something for a really long time. Like it actually costs them a lot of money. Our um, the, the theory behind Bolster is uh, that there's uh, there there has to be a better way uh, to help scale up your leadership team and your board of directors if you are uh, running 
um, a more agile, fast-paced business like a startup or a scale-up. Um, that you know, the, t- traditionally you do one of two things: you either hire a really expensive firm, or you do something that's very ad hoc. Like you email your board and you say, "Hey, I need to help in marketing. Who knows someone?" And you get someone on your board saying, "Oh, well, I know a guy that can do that." And maybe someone will throw a LinkedIn profile in your text, and like that's not exactly an organized search. So our view is like there has to be a better way than A or B. Um, and some of that is using our software to harness the power of your own network for free. Some of it is um, that we're just a much uh, lower cost, lower touch option. And then some of it, quite frankly, is um, using fractional talent or project-based talent or mentorship um, instead of hiring a full-time senior executive. Because you know, startups and scale-ups and even $100 million revenue companies, they don't always need a really expensive senior executive sitting in every seat around the table. You know, one of the things that, that I, I just wonder, uh, when a company is hiring a senior executive, do they want a self-serve option or do, do they need a little more help? And we we offer help. We just don't have a hundred and fifty thousand dollar. We'll do the whole thing for you option. So we have a twenty five hundred dollar option, which is we'll just help you manage the process really really lightly. We have a twenty five thousand dollar option, which is we'll help you manage the process and we'll also do some dedicated sourcing for you. Um, the things that we don't typically do that a retained search firm will do is you know exhaustive interviewing and lengthy write ups of candidates. Um, we don't have a 20 page job spec that we spend a ton of time on. We don't do reference checks. Um, and, and, you know, we do some dedicated sourcing for a fee, but but not necessarily what, what you would get from a retained. You know, I kind of wonder what the uh, success rate of the uh, retained firms is compared to what you're providing. I mean, is it, I mean, for all the more money that yeah. they do and all the more stuff, is it really a dog and pony show or is it really, does it really make a difference? I've used executive search um, and I've used the ad hoc kind of search both in my career uh, as a CEO. And honestly, I'm not sure either one has a, a better track record for me, but that's a data point of one. Um, you know, I've had retained search work. I've had it not work. Um, I've had ad hoc work. I've had it not work. And, I, and quite frankly, I think they're both close to 50-50. Yeah. So for, uh, for an awful lot more money, it's... Uh... You know, although although if you don't have the uh, the resources, I guess you pay the money to a third party to help you to manage your process. Yeah, you don't that's have right. Resources for that's right. Yeah. So, what's the future of this kind of business? I mean, is do you think that these are going to become more popular? Do you think that uh, they're going to be eclipsed by something else? I mean, what what do you see in the future? Um, you know, if I if I had a crystal ball, uh, I would probably be in a different line of business. Um, but I, I think the um, I think there are a couple broad forces that are um, you know that are putting wind in in our sails. One is uh, you know the the internet is obviously a natural place for aggregating um, anything and for building a really efficient marketplace. And there are some pockets of employment and labor and talent where the internet has been highly disruptive to, uh, you know, sort of traditional ways of doing things, start with classifieds, right? I mean, go, go back 20 years on that. Um, finding executives is not one of those yet. So I, I think, um, uh, you know, there's enough mystique and there's enough handcrafted work that can go into the process of, of uh, you know, of hiring a senior executive that it's sort of been a, a slow to change sector in a lot of ways. 
Um, so I do think that platforms like this will be at least part of the future of recruiting. Um, I think one of the other things, if you think about, you know, kind of fractional talent, project-based talent, spot talent, you know, the gig economy is not new. Um, but the gig economy is no longer just about Uber drivers um, and about you know people who do uh, sort of things that are like traditional freelance work. So you can go to platforms like Upwork and Fiverr, and you've been able to do that for 10 or 15 or 20 years now, to find a freelancer to do your new PowerPoint template, to find a freelancer to you know build a mobile app for you, to find a freelancer to do anything. But um, uh, you know, I think the prevalence of freelance executives has shot way up over the last five years. And it was it was going up pre-pandemic. Uh, but the pandemic put fuel on the fire because now everybody can work from everywhere. Um, right? You don't have to be tethered to an office. You don't have to be tethered to a city. You just have to be tethered to a screen. Um, and that just makes it much easier for people to go live their life and do work as they want to do. Um, and some, for some people, um, it will be the traditional route. I want a full-time job and I want to be in an office with people most of the time. Um, but for a lot of senior people who have had that kind of career for two decades or three decades, um, they get to a certain point and they think like, well, I don't think I want that anymore. You know, I want to work on my own terms a little bit. I don't want to work five days a week and 12 hours a day. Um, I want variety, right? I want some portfolio in my, in my mix. You know, I mean, we're in the middle of this labor crisis. I mean, there just is not enough talent in the marketplace, uh, you know, and, and nobody seems to know where everybody went. Maybe they went into the gig economy. Maybe they, you know, went into hiding. I, nobody seems to know where all the people went. Uh, but is this true also at the senior executive level? Uh, is is it very difficult to find senior executives now? Uh, you know, is are we out of balance in supply and demand for that level? Um. Maybe a little bit, but not nearly as much as as you see in like the hospitality industry, for example. And I, I think part of that is, um, yeah, the, the types of companies that we work with, um, although may not be limited to that, right? But they're the high growth companies, and they tend to be the companies that like invest in the training and development of their people. Um, and uh, you know, even even companies that that don't have a culture of promoting from within. Uh, typically, will have a culture of raising people up and developing them. Um, and you know, if if you're not hiring, if you, if you're looking for a CRO, uh, and uh, you don't care if you're hiring someone who's been a CRO before, but maybe you're okay with someone who's been a sales director or a sales and marketing director, um, there is kind of a conveyor belt of of talent being raised up in the tech sector. So the places in the tech sector where you see and, and we don't only do tech, but I would just call it the growth sector, right? The places where you see crunch are engineers, right? Are, you know, fully trained um, sales reps, um, even, you know, sort of more entry-level roles like customer service reps. Like that's where people are scrambling for talent. Um, but most companies are good at at uh, developing their people into managers, developing managers into leaders. And if you're not ma promoting someone from within, you can find someone from without. Yeah. You know, this has been an interesting uh, discussion. I, I appreciate it. And the, the promise of the show is to deliver the inside track on, uh, you know, on, on whatever our topic is here. We're talking about, uh, you know, placing senior executives and getting the right person to the right job, uh, the best, smartest and fastest way to make that happen. And when somebody like yourself lives up to the promise of the show, we call those people advantage players. And and you have uh, lived up to the standard and I appreciate you doing that really kind of opening the book and showing us how this kind of works. So. Uh, 
That, that makes you an advantage player, and, and I appreciate you being here with us. So uh, thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I hope that we can, uh, you know, count on you as a friend of the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Joel. Nice, con- nice conversation with you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.